Hello and welcome to the Riverside Church podcast. This week's 1015 sermon is read by Helen King and it's entitled The Faith Perspective. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Thanks. <laughs> That's two of you, anyway. <laughs> it's my honour to um, bring the word to you this morning. Um, I'm going to actually been carrying on in the vein of what Wayne was speaking about last week, which is the subject of faith. I'm just going to share a few simple thoughts because I'm a simple sort of a girl. <laughs> is that all right? And, you know, um, I think it's really important that we talk about faith. And um, I don't know about you, but it's easy sometimes when we're sat in a room like this and we look at other people worshipping away and, and we can think, wow, their, their faith is awesome. I can never have a faith as strong as that. Has anybody ever had that impression when you look at other people? A few hands going up there. I think we've all felt that, haven't we? You know, we can think everybody else is plain sailing with their faith. Let me let you into a little secret. They're not. (laughs) I would dare to venture that every single person in this room has had times on their journey of faith where it's wobbled a bit. Agree? Anybody else had that? I think even, even Terry. Is that true, Terry? Of course, he said, yeah. Even Steve. You know, and I think it's really important that we not only acknowledge that, but that we talk about that. Because if we are not real about this journey of faith that we're all on, we're we're in danger of setting this impossibly high standard that other people think we can never attain, we can never get to that same level of faith. So I hope this morning we can be really real and acknowledge that faith is a journey for all of us. And there are times where it's plain sailing, there are times where it's really tough. But I just pray this morning that as we look at the Word of God, that you'll be encouraged in your journey of faith, encouraged to keep going. Does that sound all right? Well, you've got no choice, have you? <laughs> Unless you go. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's um, turn to 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, starting right at the beginning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. And I wish that that's where the passage finished. But unfortunately, we have to read on to this bit. In this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. It was sounding good until that point, wasn't it? It was all so great. I want to stay in that rejoicing. I don't want to read about the trials, but we have to. 
Let's carry on. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes in, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you may not have seen, sorry, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Can you hear the wind getting up? It's quite eerie, isn't it, when it's windy? Anyway. So Peter was writing this, um, what's called a circular letter, a letter that was going to go around to the believers in all these regions where they had been scattered. It's likely, um, some uh, scholars say, that it was written when he was in Rome and around the time when Emperor Nero began the great persecution of Christians. And if you read about Emperor Nero and some of the things he did, you know, that persecution went on to be pretty severe. There's stories of him burning Christians alive or feeding Christians to wild animals for entertainment. (laughs) Praise God that we uh, don't see that level of persecution today in the West, although we do know that there is still persecution that goes on across the world, isn't there? And we can read stories about that all the time, and we must continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in the church worldwide. But Peter's letter was written to encourage the believers in this time and to bring some guidance on how to live. Peter himself, of course, was martyred during this persecution. We may not face that level of difficulty, but I think it's fair to acknowledge that in this life we do face trials, don't we? We do face challenges of life. And I, I've not got to that stage of um, holiness like Paul, where he said we must consider it pure joy when we see trials. If there, some of you have got to that stage, then I, I applaud you. <laughs> but I do believe that when trials come, we have a choice about how we can respond to them, how we can view the trials in our lives. The faith perspective. You see, our faith has a really significant role to play in how we view and approach life's challenges. And I was reflecting the other day about when I first became a Christian over 33 years ago, a long time. And I remember thinking, wow, now I'm a Christian, life's going to be great. Everything's going to be easy peasy. Every time I have a struggle, I'm going to pray and God's going to solve it. And I'm going to lead this this trouble-free life. And God's going to say yes to every prayer, and it's going to be great. (laughs) Anybody else think the same way (laughs) in the beginning? And of course, then you start to read the Bible and start to understand a little bit more about faith and realize that is not so. You see, I think I was wanting God to... um, fulfill my agenda for my life and give me a trouble-free existence until I got to heaven. But of course, it's not that at all, is it? Actually, when we come to become a Christian, we're actually making a decision to surrender our lives to him and ask him what his agenda is for our lives. We're surrendering the lordship of our lives to him. Troubles are guaranteed, in this life because we live in a fallen world 
But I do believe that we shouldn't view faith through the lens of life circumstances. We should view life circumstances through the lens of faith. Let me say that again. We shouldn't view faith through the lens of life circumstances. We should view life's circumstances through the lens of faith. And that switch in perspective takes some practice. As Peter says um, in the passage, the genuineness of our faith is proven in difficult times. Billy Graham said, mountaintops are for views and inspiration, but fruit is grown in the valley. Something about valley times, isn't there, that causes us to exercise our faith, and our faith tends to grow more in those times than in the mountaintops. But what do we know and understand about faith, and how can we help make that switch in perspective? Faith needs to be activated. Peter says, by faith, we are shielded by God's power. And that connection between faith and and being a shield takes us straight to the armor of God in Ephesians, where it says this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. When you look at the armor of God, faith and the word, the shield and the sword, are the only two items of the armor that require you to do something with them. They're not just things we wear, not just items that we put upon our body. These two things require action. The shield would be strapped to a person's hand, but if a shield's dangling down there, it's not going to be of much use. For a shield to be put to be used properly, it needs to be raised and put into position. Same with faith. We need to raise it up. We need to position it. Shield is a guard. A shield is a guard. It's a defense. It's designed for protection. So is our faith. And why do we need the armor of God? Well, because we're in a battle. And of course, it's always hardest to raise a shield in the midst of a fight, in the midst of a battle, when we're tired, when we're weary. It's then that it becomes a choice and a decision we must make. The more we do it, the more we get used to doing it. And you see, the enemy is is real and is active, and he is trying to rob, steal, and destroy your faith. And that's why he fires arrows at you. And what can those arrows be? What sort of fiery arrows are we talking about? Well, there's all sorts, aren't there? Could be circumstances, could be fears, temptations, unhelpful thought patterns. You see, arrows don't always come as um, outside circumstances. Sometimes they come in our thoughts. You can't do it. You're not good enough. You'll never get any better. Have any of you ever battled to do something that God has asked you to do because you think you're not good enough to do it? I know quite a a bit about that one. And yet in those kind of circumstances, when you raise up the shield of faith and say, no, if God has called me, he will equip me. Even though I don't feel good enough, I know that he can work through me. I'm not a big enough barrier to God who created the universe. He can work through me if he's called me and equipped me. How many times has the enemy robbed people or frozen them with fear by saying, you can't do it? Or his other line, 
did God really say? Remember that one? Did God really say? But it's at those times we need to raise our shield of faith. And of course, as many of you know, I'm sure, in Paul's day when he wrote that, um, shields have a, had a leather front to them and they would be soaked in water before going into battle so that when arrows came, when the enemy would fire arrows that had been lit at the front, the fiery arrow would hit the front of that shield, that wet, soaking wet shield, and the water would extinguish the flame. So we must remain soaking wet in the Holy Spirit. We must continue to remain with that closeness to God and that soaking of his presence so that the Holy Spirit can extinguish those fiery arrows. Notice it doesn't say you won't receive any fiery arrows anymore. It says when they come, the shield of faith will protect you. What else does faith do? It reminds us of our position do you know, we've sung some amazing songs, haven't we, this morning? And I thought the worship was just wonderful, and thank you to the team. The words of some of those songs just reminding us once again of our position before Jesus, about what he's done for us. I love that line. I wrote it down because I just loved it. Um, From the throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. That's what Jesus did for us. And faith reminds us of our position in him. Just as Peter was reminding the scattered Christians of their position with all those verses about rejoicing and about the living hope that they have in Jesus. You see, Peter was giving them a context for their suffering, a bigger picture, a a, a way of viewing it within this bigger context of eternity to come. He talks about new birth into a living hope. What an amazing promise that we have. And isn't that what faith is? About hope? Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I've used the King James Version because I love the two words substance and evidence. I also love that subheading that the translators put in there. By faith we understand. I love that. But let's look at these two words, substance and evidence. There's the Greek up there on the, on the screen. Substance is confidence, firm trust, assurance. And evidence is that by which invisible things are proved and we are convinced of their reality. That's what faith is. Confident assurance of what we believe in, evidence and proof of the life that we have in Jesus. I love it. Hope isn't wishful thinking, like wishing Forrest would ring the premiership. It's a firm assurance, a trust, and a confidence in what we hope for. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that we are hope carriers, that we carry this message of Jesus and life in him wherever we go. And that's why as Christians, I think we are glass half full sort of people. I think we should be because of this message of living hope. We're on the winning team. It ends well. We win the victory in the end because of what Jesus has done. Can I get an amen? You know, this is a good news story. And therefore, we live. Though we struggle at times, we have this context of eternity. And it's an amazing truth, isn't it? 
I was, again, a, a story came back to mind of when um, the family and I, we went to the Lake District. It was years ago. It was actually in 2007 because I, I wrote it in the back of my Bible. Um, and where it was surrounded by a beautiful pine forest, as Centre Parks often is. There are other holiday venues that are available to people to visit also. <laughs> but where we were staying, um, we used to walk down into the centre and every day we would pass this amazing view that I could see beyond the pine forest. And I could see that just beyond these trees was this amazing valley that went on for miles and miles and miles. And right at the back of it were these Cumbrian mountains. And it was the most spectacular sight. But I couldn't see it clearly. I could only sort of see it in part. And every day, I don't know if you remember this, I haven't asked you, every day we would go and try and find um, a clear view of this amazing valley. And we would go behind lodges and walk through the trees. And every day we were searching. And as the week went by, I was getting this growing frustration that I couldn't see this view clearly. And God was really speaking to me about this in a prophetic sense about something was coming and I can't see it clearly yet, but one day I'll see it fully. And I think on the last day we managed to get through the trees, but there was a fence. But we could still see through the fence and it was the best view I'd had yet. But I could just get a slightly clearer, not completely unobstructed, but this slightly clearer view of this wonderful valley. And as I was um, reflecting on the faith perspective this week, I thought about that view, and I thought there's something in that. It reminded me actually of um, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And actually, I really like the New Living Translation of that verse. Oh, skip that. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. I can't read that up there, it's too dark. Um, all that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Don't you love that? I think I've skipped a load of things. Anyway, um, I love that sense of one day we know we know in now we know in part, but one day we'll see in full. And that picture of the the trees in the way. And I think it's a bit like that with with God and our picture of eternity. We can see a glimpse, we can get a general impression, but we can't see it fully yet. We live in a kingdom of now and not yet. And that verse has really helped me, particularly in recent weeks, because, you know, we all have questions, don't we, that might not be able to be answered this side of eternity. We all have things that we can't quite get our head around. And we live in a society where we're so used to having all the answers. It's so easy to click on Google. You can ask Google anything, can't you? There's a great video on... Um, on YouTube the other day of um, this little boy doing his homework by just clicking, you know, I think he was asking Siri the questions and, and it was giving him all the answers. But 
information and, and knowledge is so accessible and we, we know more about the climate than ever before. We know more about the universe. We know more about the human body, about health, about everything. And it's kind of, we get to the stage where we feel that we should know everything, that we can know everything. But do you know what? We can't know everything about God. We can know him more and more in a growing sense, but we can't fully understand him and his ways this side of eternity. And that's helped me in the questions. That's helped me learn to live with the questions in the meantime. Because I know that one day, I will know in full. One day, we will see an unadulterated, unobscured view of God. One day, we will be in the unrestricted, unhindered presence of God. We will be able to look Jesus in the face. And I have a feeling that in the light of his glorious face, all of our questions will melt away. All of our struggles and all of our strivings will seem like nothing in the light of eternity. We will see him fully, clearly, and completely. In the meantime, we learn to live with that understanding. We can't see it all now, but one day we will. I do believe we need to activate a faith perspective to let faith be the lens that we see life through. God is bigger. And of course, it's not good enough to know just about God. We need to know God through personal encounter to feed our faith and to acknowledge that with him, anything is possible. What does Peter say? He says, your faith is of greater worth than gold. Though you have not seen him, You love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen.